Welcome back to the Hot Mess to Awesomeness podcast, a show all about inspiring smart, busy women to put their happiness at the top of their to-do list. Join your host and life coach, Dion Thompson, as she chats with amazing women who have figured out how to make their happiness a priority, and more importantly, what it's really like to go from hot mess to awesomeness. And now, on with the show. Welcome everybody to the Hot Mess to Awesomeness podcast. I am your host and life coach, Dion Thompson. Now today's episode is brought to you by the Awesomeness Academy Podcast Club. It's an exclusive community for listeners of this podcast who are ready to put be fucking happy at the top of their to-do list. It's free to join and as a member, you get crazy discounts on courses, workshops, coaching, uh, exclusive access to content and special episodes, plus you get entered to win an awesome gift every month. So check out the link in the show notes. And if you're not already a member, join today. All righty, let's meet my guest, Shannon Thompson. Okay, so I had the privilege, luxury, honor, pick a fucking word that it just exemplifies my joy here. Um, But I had the the, uh, opportunity to connect with Shannon through uh, another one of my guests, uh, Helga Conklin. And um, (laughs) we hop on our pre-recording chat, like, hey, let's see if we actually like each other. And oh my, I think it was what, 30 seconds before I'm like, oh my God, I'm in fucking love with you. Like I need, I need you in my life. This (laughs) this has to happen. And um, I knew that from that second that you were absolutely, I would love to have you on as a guest. And and then we, we spent like what felt like hours having one of the most fantastic conversations that I've ever had with another human. I'm, I'm such a huge lover of, um, brain coupling, you know, when the energy is just, we're like millions of miles apart, it feels like, but it doesn't matter because we were just so connected. So I love that. So, um, I'm personally extremely excited to have Shannon on today. So a little bit about Shannon. Shannon is the founder and visionary director of the nonprofit Shakti Rising a social change organization transforming the lives of women, girls, and the larger community. Shannon is a truth teller, lifelong learner, organizational consultant, and leadership coach pulling from her certifications as, okay, are you ready? This is the list here. As a yoga instructor, massage therapist, flower essence practitioner, ordained minister, and training in herbalism, nutrition, energy psychology, aromatherapy, and expressive arts therapy. Shut the back fucking door. Fantastic. Uh, Shannon lives life with a juicy, fierce, tender, fiery passion, and her superpowers are loving the unlovable and using her powers for good. Shakti rising is her destiny, her dharma, and her daily choice. And holy fuck, like I even just saying those things, I'm like, I my skin is on fire. I thank you, thank you, thank you for being with us today and um, for being an awesome fucking human being. So welcome, Shannon. Every leader in the world, Dion, should get the opportunity to just have this exchange with you. Like, just periodically, they just drop in, they have this exchange, and then they go, I can do it. I can get back out there. I can handle the shit that's going to happen today. I can do this. Well, I do consider myself, I laugh often that I was born to be a fan for a couple of reasons. Number one, and I won't do it here because everybody's, their earballs will get blown, but I am the loudest clapper I've ever met in my life. I don't know, some kind of physiology with the way that my hands come together. When I clap, it's really, really fucking loud. 
And so I'm like, I was born to like celebrate people. And my husband um, is a musician and an entertainer and an artist and performer. And I'm like, absolutely. Because I spent probably the first five years of our relationship, just fucking applauding him and wherever he was. And <laughs> I'm like, this is what I was born to do. Um, so yes, I would take on that gig of just uh, shouting people out and reminding them of how fucking awesome they are. So yeah, you know, I'll that do that. Reminds, you know, that reminds me of, I know, I, I just want to segue, but I think this is really a powerful moment of exchange. It reminds me of, have you seen the Ted talk? I think it's called second dancer mm. or it might be called how social change movements happen. Okay. And it's like maybe five minutes um, I could be completely lying about the title and the length. Okay. But we'll, we'll I'm, find I'm, it all the same. It will be in the show notes. Don't you worry. <laughs> Good. Well, and here's the thing that I think this is like, if we're going to talk about a nugget or some really critical thing, what just happened between you and I, I feel like is one of the million dollar pieces of gold that many people will overlook. So this, uh, I think he was a sociologist or an anthropologist, but anyways, he got up and he gave a TED talk and he talked about how social change movements happen. And he used a video of a music festival to illustrate this. And in the opening part of the video, there's one lone crazy dancer. Okay. Right. We've all seen him. We've been there. I was a groupie too, with boyfriends <laughs> in the band, right? The person, I was probably the person getting up and like, Woo-hoo-hoo! you know, yes. you're just doing your thing. You're jamming. And um, the, in the talk that he's talking about, there's that person, the one who stands up, the one who does the whole thing. And he's like, and everyone thinks that that's the person that really matters. That's who we look at. But here's what really matters is when the second dancer gets up, the second person to get up actually changes the entire dynamic because it, then it's not just, wow, that other person's so brave or bold or high or whatever the hell is happening <laughs> with them. It's literally like, and we can do that too. And so you watch in this video, the second dancer gets up, starts dancing. He's obviously laughing and having fun, kind of laughing about the first dancer, but also having a good time. And after the second dancer gets up, all kinds of people get up. Wow. So I'm thinking about you and this, you know, this thing that you're talking about, this, the ability to um, clap so loudly and applaud. It's like, it's the power of the second dancer. It's the importance of understanding that actually, you know, we look to the one person and we go, okay, right on. And we also go, you're weird. And we also go, I don't want to be like you. I kind of never want to be like you. All of those things. Yeah. But the power comes when that second person goes, and I'm in too. I'm in. And after that, it's like, okay, we can engage. And I think that, um, you know, as a leader, you know, one of the difficulties that comes with being um, someone who's recognized or seen for taking a risk and doing something that is absolutely incredible and blessed, you know, like my, and I'm speaking about my work. I feel so lucky to be chosen to have a job that kicks my ass every day, all day long, all year (laughs) long. You know, I mean, it's like, I pray for a boring day, but, um, but you know, it's really painful when people then use that as, well, Shin, you're different. Well, you can do it. Well, you were wired for this. Well, no, none of us are wired to do it alone. And so to stand up and then be almost isolated because you're willing to get up and dance because the, mu- the music's making you groove, or as my mentor says, throw your bucket down where you are, do what you can with what you have. So because I was willing to be like, I'm 18, I'm not ready, I'm fucked up. 
I'm trying to figure <laughs> stuff out, but I know that I've got something to give. And then I've been doing that my whole, for, you know, three plus decades now. That doesn't make me a hero. My 35 years has carved a heroine's journey for myself, mm-hmm. but I'm, I was just, a, I was just a dancer. I was just a person who got up, right? And fortunately, when there's someone like you who is also a wing woman, like I think about my my friends or the crazy folks who along the way, they were they got up and danced too with me, even when they thought I was crazy, even if we were in the laundry mat, you know. My best friend <laughs> I remember saying to me, I can't believe you're doing this in the laundry mat. And I said, What else are you gonna do while you're waiting? It's a great song. <laughs> yes. That thank you for encapsulating. Um, that experience. So as someone who, you know, I feel my capacity to see greatness and then just be like on the other side going, you're fucking right. Like to do this, I'm, I'm in the ring with you. Um, and, and I, I can appreciate that your journey is your journey and you're not alone. And I, I, I used to joke and I still joke. I'm joking right now that I was going to name my business, honey, you're not alone because that's really what I felt. Everything that we've been doing captures that sense. So whether it's someone who's struggling with something and trying to work through the specifics of their experience or someone who is stepping into something big and going, hey, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit. Um, it still requires that knowledge that yes, you're, you're doing it and it's yours and you're not by yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm such an advocate of, you know, as a lifelong learner, recognizing the stages of, of learning. So from, you know, t- dependence through codependence and then, you know, it's step into independence and it's so glorified, thanks Beyonce, but it's so glorified this idea of independence. I'm strong, independent woman. I can fucking do anything. I can like, I can conquer the world, but it's freaking lonely mm. because it's this idea that, you have to do things by yourself. And it's this, this norm, this sort of social convention that's rolling around. Um, you know, it, it meant as a counterpoint to patriarchy, but unfortunately it's limited, I think, us as a community because really what we're striving towards is interdependence. It's that beautiful space of being, you know, that in that pinnacle, um, that pivotal, pivotal space in our journey but we're not alone and we're tapping into the strengths of other people so that we all rise together. And um, so again, thank you for honoring that. And no joke, we will find that Ted talk. Cause I don't know if I'm sure I, I want to say, I'm sure we talked about this, but I'm such a fucking lover of Ted talks. I have it. I put it in my membership site. I'm like, here's the 10 Ted talks that I think all people should watch. Cause I watch them like incessantly. Oh, and here's another one. Here's another one. I put them on my feed every day. Here's uh-huh. another one. Watch more Ted talks. <laughs> I love that. I did not know that. And I completely love that. Although I could see that you being like you're a lifelong learner and really supporting <laughs> people to locate themselves. I'm going to say one more thing about that. The, if I can, and then I know, absolutely. <laughs> I trust this all weaves together, but that idea that what I, what I think is I look and I go, there's so many places that with, um, that our reactions to what is, we think they're so different, but they're actually still, they're, they're still in that dynamic, i.e. the idea that being overly self-sufficient is somehow a challenge to patriarchy or somehow a challenge. It's actually really part of an extractive dominator capitalist model. Mm. 
that says that our only worth is actually in what we produce right. in quantified time and quantified output. And, you know, it's never okay to just be like doing nothing or being creative or having a downtime. And so there's this idea, right, that, that, um, that strength is what I consider to be more rigidity, lack of connectivity, denial of vulnerability. And in Shakti, what we teach is things like that our strength is actually in vulnerability. Like we call it strength and vulnerability because there, it takes true supple strength to risk being connected, to risk caring about something, to put yourself out there, to be a truth teller or um, you know, to speak up again, you know, against something or for something else. And we say that strong women need to be held strongly because women who are really doing that kind of work in that way need people around them holding them really strongly, you know? Absolutely. And you are speaking through and to my heart. Thank you. Thank you for that. I'm a, at the essence of all of my work is that the strength of vulnerability. And I loved the the supple strength that the, that actual word, of course, has like a moist quality. Mm -hmm. So it, it really does land in a powerful way. So thank you for that. Yeah. All right, Shannon, let's mm -hmm. do the, let's do the thing here. So of course, um, Shakti has been now decades of serving women um, all over the United States and all over the world. Over the world all over the world and uh, which is great for me because I'm in Canada. So that just added like, <laughs> okay, cool. Um, and I, in what I've learned, it is, I am so attracted to what the work that you're doing. It really speaks to all of the parts of my life personally. So many of the listeners may know. So in my before times life, I worked in education, specifically adult education. And I did a lot of work with um, poverty awareness and mindsets around communities and communication and um, creating bridges and, and opportunities for individuals who had a desire to shift out of their current uh, state, whether that was physical, emotional, or economical, and um, gather in community and mentorship in order to for them to feel um, empowered to make the decisions that were right for them. And that, that was a big part of my life. And it still is, I'm just not in the same training capacity. So when you shared with me about what you were doing, I was like, again, speaking directly to my soul um, it for, it for personal reasons as well as professional. And, and I'm interested, very interested, and we didn't get into this because I wanted to kind of save it for when I could sort of hear it new and fresh and just be like, oh yeah, I'm excited. I'm interested in hearing about the days before Shakti was in existence and, um, and really what inspired you or what prompted you or what had to fall apart in order for you to feel this desire to rebuild. Um, but what transpired that, that sort of was the impetus to creating this movement all over the world? I don't tell the story very often. One, because it's really complicated. You know, like all of our journeys really are, right? And, and uh, two, because we live in a time, I was just thinking about this the, the other day. We live in a time that um, everybody's commodifying their story. You know, it's, it's just like memoir after memoir. And, and 
I'm going to sound like an asshole and I, and I really don't mean to, I, I think it's so important. Our stories are so important, right? In our lives to us. But in this Western society, when you've suddenly, you're building a platform a and everything's commodified and how do you, you know, you become a paid influencer or whatever. Um, there's something about our humanity that's missing and there's definitely something about the community that's missing. So this is part of why I don't tell my story. One, I'm shy, two, I'm private, three, doesn't fit into bandwidth, but I'm gonna try to do my best today. Um, from the time I was young, I was uh, like a budding, what would now be called social change, social justice activist. Um, that's not what it was called way, way the hell back then a million years ago. But um, I, I, I mean, like literally, I, I wasn't raised up in it. My folks were uh, blue collar, working class. My mom had to drop out of college because she got pregnant with me in school. So I, I want, you know, we grew up in, you know, some kind of rural parts of San Diego and California in a place that was very much about being outdoor. And, you know, it, it was, so I just, I was not raised up. In, with this ethos, okay, in the sense, my folks are amazing human beings, I love them, and they are definitely been incredible teachers to me, and we're just cut from different cloths, let's say, so I, I, I bow to them all the time, because I can't even imagine what it was like for them, I was in a pain in the ass, because from the time I was really young, I wanted to, I was talking about politics, and the civil war, and um, racism and the environment and shit that just was not the norm in the region. This is not what my friends were talking about. It was not, I, and I was also like this deep seeker, like inside from the very beginning. I remember my uh, dad's folks, uh, my grandparents lived in New Mexico. And that was a place that I consider like, I grew up there too, because I grew up with um, so many childhood memories of family and gatherings and time spent there and, you know, summers. And it really, it was a place that um, like my body recognized as a kind of home, right? Like this is my adult self able to know what was happening then. But I used to walk around in this town of 500 in tiny, tiny Southern New Mexico. And I was looking for the magic that I knew lived that was there. I knew there was something that was just on the other side of what was visible, right? I could feel something, but I didn't have any language for it. I didn't have any frame of reference for it. So, you know, by the time I'm in middle school, the closest I know how to gesture toward this is I start church hopping with all my friends. I go, oh, all my friends are going to different kinds of churches. So I just go with any, anyone who will take me, I go, because I'm like, yes, I want to know about that and that and that and that. And I'm fortunately, I had, um, you know, a lot of different friends with different faiths. And, um, so I, you know, but it was still, there was something lacking. So the reason that I share all that is because um, I grew up having this um, really deep sense and knowing about that I was here for a purpose and that there really was something sacred, but I grew up not being able to find it, not, not knowing what it was or where it was or, you know, and I was really successful, you know, in school and a good student and blah, 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 lots of extended fame. Blah, 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 blah. My folks did amazing things and um, worked their way up. And, um, but starting when I was in high school and I was in leadership, so, but there was one part of me that was out of sync. Okay. Like, and I just want to say that really clearly, not just like that sense of not belonging that a lot of us talk about, but I mean, literally out of sync, like everyone at my high school went through this big, um, 
religious thing that occurred at that time. In a lot of places, I was the only, I was a practicing Buddhist at the time. And actually, you know, so 15 years old, this is before mindfulness is all trendy now, but I had learned about it in all these, in my seekings, you know, I found some weird black and white video of yoga at the library when I was like 10 and started watching it and trying to teach myself why, why did I do those things? I don't know. Right. So, so I'm practicing meditation and, you know, calling it Buddhism is best. I understand I'm 15 years old. Right. Right. But there's something there that I, that I know that is like, you know, really drawing me. And so I'm, you know, out of sync with my peers and out of sync with the you know, ethos around me and, and yet doing really, you know, super successful externally. And I start having waking visions and dreams. And um, so that started when I was probably 15, 16 years old. I had no idea what they were, but they were so incredibly powerful that the only thing I needed to do was write them down. Like, and to the best of my ability, I tried to write down these visions I was catching of, it looked something like, a, you know, today what we might call like a big, like a camp. It looked like a big camp where like young people or college people, you know, by then, you know, I'm still 15. So, you know, imagine they yeah. like 20 something are <laughs> I mean, like, I don't know, retreat, spiritual leadership stuff and healing and they're on the land and there are people and they're in circle. I mean, I can tell, I can see and feel it. And I know this is really important, but I have no fucking clue what it's all about. Okay. Right. So now let's, I'll stitch it up and go a little bit faster. So I um, just, you know, I was going to go do poli sci. I wanted to do a joint major in politics and possibly do judicial work when I was in high school. i used to think I wanted to be the first female president of the United States. I mean, I was really like all in, right? All in for the change of the world kind of shit. And um, I tried to start the first environmental program at our high school campus, you know, again, not knowing any of that stuff was trendy or important or happening in other, because it wasn't totally yet, but it was like, really, it was coming from my soul. And some of it was that this, you know, ethos of we're going to fix it. Okay. I don't think we can fix anything anymore, but anyway, you know, so uh, and, and then a lot of shit happened and came to a head. And even though I'd been accepted at really great colleges and I was actually going to go to UCLA, um, I ended up going to drug rehab instead of going to college. Mm -hmm. So between 16 and 18, my life did a radical, I mean, you want to talk about Persephone getting snatched out of the meadow and whoop, right down to the underworld, um, or Persephone seeing Hades on the side of the road and going, you're cute <laughs> in his car and going right down to the underworld. It was yeah. kind of a little bit of that both. Um, and there's a lot of stuff that happened, a lot of stuff that happened uh, to me, in me, in my life. Certainly that seeking thing was a part of it. Certainly seeing the state of the world and that, uh, and really rejecting it, like really being like, I don't want to be like, what's, you know, the whole making it phenomenon. And I was making it. Like, let's be really clear. I was one of the top 20 kids in my high school and, you know, all this stuff, but I, it, it left me dead and I couldn't figure out how I was going to do that. And so essentially I wasn't going to do it. That's what the truth was. And I dropped into this, this crazy, amazing underworld or series of underworlds of addiction. And then a lot of shit happened to me right? So there was what was going on, then there's what happened during that process, and it all came to a head, and I was uh, going to try to kill myself, and, um, and I had another waking vision. I was sitting, smoking a cigarette next to my car. I was going to drive my car off a cliff, 
And, um, and I was really, it wasn't emotionally dramatic. Like I just want, I know that sounds so dramatic. I was going to drive my car off the cliff, but it really wasn't. I was really numb. Like I was just really, I couldn't keep, I mean, I'll do, you know, I'm, I was burning bright, burning fast. There's a quote from the movie Blade Runner about the light that burns twice as bright, burns half as long. And that was something yeah. like this guiding mantra, right? For me, of course. So, um, and so I'm sitting there smoking a cigarette and I'm just kind of trying to, I'm just contemplating, honestly, like, you know, okay. And I have this total calmness come over me. And I, and I, it's like, I, I have a, it's almost like a wise elder sits next to me and I can see them sitting next to me, sitting there and pretty much just communicates. However, however that happened, it wasn't like talking, but pretty much communicates, look, it's okay. Like whatever you do is okay. Um, but here's pretty much how it is. You're either going to do what you came here to do and live up to that, or you're not going to live that long. And if you choose to kill yourself now or in a year through drugs or whatever, that's okay. You're still going to have to come back and do the thing you came here for. It was kind of what was like communicated to me. And that wasn't even really my worldview. I also want to say this because now that's so trendy, but you know, remember like not part of my world, 17 year old kid, drugs, side of the hill, having this experience. And I totally knew this was true. It was like, I felt this feeling of, oh, oh yeah. Like I just, it was like, oh, so I kept using for a while. I didn't kill myself and I kept using for a while longer, but it was this, like that moment was like this reckoning. What happened then is I got really inside of myself while I was still in the end of my using days and all the craziness that happened in that time. I was reckoning with that. Am I going to stay and do what I'm supposed to do? Or am I going to go? Which one? You know, and it's okay. Like it was really, and I know people don't want to hear that because none of us want to imagine anyone we love and care about, especially a young person leaving before they've had a chance to know. Um, but so what ended up happening is, um, you know, I bottomed, totally bottomed and then went to rehab instead of going to college, which was awesome. When I got to call UCLA and say, hi, I was high, by the way, when I called them, hi, I'm, I'm high. I think I probably said that. And I said, listen, I want to know if I can, um, defer my enrollment and they, you know, this is 1987. So things are really different. And they're like, okay, it's a big deal to get accepted and get offered scholarships and stuff. And I'm like, they're like, why? And I'm like, I have to go to drug rehab. <laughs> and it was just really like, I have a drug problem. I just think back and I'm like, how did that kid do that? Like, what? I mean, shoot. But um, so I ended up in rehab and I came out. And then um, I spent a couple of months kind of between worlds. On the one hand, when I went to rehab, I was so, I felt this sense of, um, oh my gosh, this is it. Because there were people on a spiritual path. Recovery was an overt open path about you know taking care of our own shit and showing up in the world and taking care of what we're here for I mean that's really and so like my first big book it was very old school and there were a lot of messed up things about it but my first big book is like totally highlighted because I was so relieved to be part of a community of like overt seekers and practicers you know it was like woohoo um but the enchantment kind of wore off and you know there's a lot messed up in the treatment industry. And I'm not going to get into all the ways that, that affected me, but there were a couple of things that I came out of it that I was really aware of. And one of, one of the things that I was really aware of is that so many of the stories that were being told about addicts were totally wrong. I mean, especially when I was in the underworld, like 
the kids that were there that nobody knew. The reality that existed in, you know, this community, you know, this community I grew up in that was, you know, I don't know, it could be in a lot of places in the country when everyone thinks, oh, this isn't happening for us. It was not five kids. It was not 10 kids. There was a huge subculture of us, right? Experimenting, opting out, and some really in a lot of trouble. And with a lot of different things going on. I mean, mental health issues and violence and sexual assault. I mean, just all kinds of shit that was not talked about at all. In fact, by the light of day, it was acted as though it didn't exist. So that was really fascinating. And especially because I was already aware and tracking systems and stuff. So to see that, to hear what people were saying the solutions were supposed to be and how they weren't even talking to us. They weren't even fucking asking us. We weren't stupid. We actually did know some of what was up and what we needed. So that was fascinating to me. And then also the fact that I saw that a lot of what people were doing in, you know, what then was kind of, what was the only kind of way of recovery. I was like, well, this is what healthy adults should do in general. Take care of your business, clean up your unfinished shit, be like a good human live in relationship with something larger than you, give back in service. I think that's democracy actually, right? So, so it, was, it was interesting for me to be like, wow, I really love this. And so, but it was the first couple of months I, I was you know, having to jump through hoops. My school, my high school made me go take this independent learning. I mean, there's all this punitive nature. Like I had to prove myself, I had to. And, and then there was the part that I really did need to do repair from, from damage I'd done. I don't wanna gloss over that. There was a lot of repair I needed in healing and there was repair I needed to do. But there was also bullshit stuff layered on that was supposed to teach me a lesson. Like I needed to be taught a fucking lesson after being a teenager who was addicted in a very dicey subculture. Let's just say, right? Like, did I really need to be taught another lesson? I probably not. I, I was lucky to recover from the ones I was taught. So, right. so then I start using again, and but now I'm getting away with it because the thing that I'm realizing is nobody wants to talk about it. People want me to act like it's all over now. And for me, recovery was like this sense of like, oh my God, there's another way. There's a meaningful life. There's a, right? And now I'm supposed to just be quiet and I am, this is not going to happen. So I'm kind of trying to sift this out and still having a lot of like, you know, spiritual awakenings. And then um, my friend from high school, one of my few friends who I was supposed to go to UCLA with came home on, on her winter break. And she left me a letter on December 15th, 1987. This is the day I quit using. I came home from waitressing. I think this was my, my job and um, hanging out you know, partying with the guys I was working with and um, everyone was asleep in my house. And I found the letter on the front, like um, steps, you know, like it had gotten put in through the door or something. And I remember picking it up and, and my friend had this really crazy spidery handwriting that was kind of weird to read. And I hadn't heard from her or anything in a really long time. And I was like, wow. And I, I can remember this viscerally being downstairs in my parents' house at like one or two in the morning and opening the letter that she had written while she'd been drinking. <laughs> she was probably drunk or she never would have said any of this. It was this long letter about how um, me using and becoming an addict and giving up and giving into the mainstream 
caused her to break her it, it like broke her spirit and made her believe things could never be different that all the things we had talked about and divisions we had and what was possible in life and i that that was it for me i actually could not even sustain the i like that i had caused another human someone i cared about to give up believing in in really that it was possible to 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 go this other way and and so that was the last day i used and um when i quit i said to myself um i'm gonna give it a year you know and and we'll just see and i'm gonna give i'm really gonna go for it in this year i'm really gonna do recovery um and if at the end of the year it's not different. It's not better. Then I'll go back to using and we know which way that'll go, you know, and I'm, it's not like, I'm going to forget to be a good addict, you know? <laughs> um, and so I was 18, I was 18 years old when I quit on that, on that December. And, um, and, you know, clearly I didn't go back to using, um, but what that, what that became, what that tipped the balance of was um, all of it being really necessary initiation, right, for my life. Because what then my commitment was in that is I'm gonna give myself entirely to this life, to this path, to my soul, to what's unfolding. Now at 18, again, I didn't totally know those words, but I knew the feeling and I knew what was um, kind of like, um, what is that word where it's indisputable, like indisputably true that I had to follow this weird gut sense that I had that pretty much told me when something was true or right for me or not, I had to follow that. And from that moment forward, that's pretty much been my whole life. My literal discipline has been doing all the healing necessary, all the work necessary, all the learning necessary, all the gardening and exercise and love and quietness or whatever necessary to follow those threads. And, and so all of my life, all of my work unfolded from there. There was, and, and what to connect the dots is that those visions that started when I was 15, that obviously got my attention and the initiation that followed, all of that was part of the golden thread of my soul's work. My soul's work is, had, was always about um, challenging oppression and dominator culture and, um, you know, and standing up against, right, what is not right, but it's standing up for what is possible. One of the things I say to people that I think they miss is like, I stand for the vision of a world that I know is more emergent, alive, vital, creative, diverse, equitable, because I am fucking bored with the reality that we're in right now. Aren't we all? Like, to have an excuse to play at being mediocre or just getting by or 60% of the culture is barely making it for 40% to make it. And we want to tell a story that says, that's awesome. I look at that story and I'm like, wow, that's pathetic. Mm -hmm. If that was me and my family, it would not be okay to say, well, 40% of us are making it, but 60% are fucking never going to get there. What? If my grandparents or my ancestors had done that, I wouldn't be alive today, right? So there's something that we've been sold to make us even get mad at people that say to us that we can be something more because it's like saying you're not okay as you are instead of understanding it's an invitation to be more of what you are. 
right. more of who you are, right? And not because more is better in like consuming, but like the the way that I, I remember my grandmother saying to me at one point, Shannon, you're gonna love the 50s and the 60s. And I was like, oh, why? And she was like, because there's this feeling that happens of like you are so ripe in who you are. And it's, just, you know, nowadays we say, and you don't give any fucks, right? Your bowl of yeah. fucks is empty. 50 and fuck <laughs> it, yeah. <laughs> Right. But, you know, I think about that. There's this, you know, like the continued finding out and discovery and living into. So, you know, that, so, so my journey started, you know, that ended up upending, like I didn't go to college at UCLA. I ended up having a dream about redwoods on an ocean. I had never been in a place like that. And it was UC Santa Cruz. And I ended up going to college there. And doing this double major and writing a whole thesis about addiction and critiquing actually um, most mainstream treatment models, um, specifically for youth and women, because they don't take into account and marginalize communities, which would include people of color, because they, what they do is they pathologize as something that is also part of systemic inequities. So it's like part of what I was saying over 35 years ago, and I had amazing mentors and who really brought me into the policy side of the conversation, which was that, um, yes, we needed to, we need to, and they didn't do this when I was in treatment, we need to recognize many different factors, our biology, histories of trauma, somatics. I mean, we need to have holistic, comprehensive healing, right? But we also need to recognize that, uh, some of addiction and mental health issues and what's going on, you know, things that are happening with women are a direct result of systems that are fucked up and not working. Right. So let's not make individuals take responsibility again through their healing by making it an individual pathology, what is a systemic disease, right? So there's so that has been my work. And I, you know, really early on because of my passion and my commitment to education. I mean, I taught, I worked in high schools, I taught in domestic violence agencies, I taught in the jails. I got tapped to start training other professionals. I got called in to do corporate training work because even though now it's trendy about trauma work and art therapy and some of this stuff, I was always talking about um, like holistic cultivation. And that if you don't, if people's soft skills, or now we would say if their nervous system, if their connectivity, if their whole being is not on board, then our workplaces aren't going to be alive and vital. You can't go to work and be half of yourself and act like you don't care or think about your kids or your groceries or someone that, you know, right? Like that's not true. So that doesn't mean we can't go to work and get to be another part of ourselves, which is awesome. But so anyway, early on, I was doing all of that stuff. But never in the trajectory, Dion, did I, was I pointing towards Shakti rising? Like I want to say, I mean, obviously I was, but in my mind, my cognitive. So it did not come out of me going, I'm going to fill in the blank. This right. is my idea. That never, that's not how it was. It was though I, I was following my life. And one day I woke up and realized I had lived into this thing happening. Mm -hmm. Literally, I literally had a waking vision that my destiny showed up on my front door when I was doing mentoring, this is what I thought I was doing, just mentoring a handful of young people. It was really Shakti Rising. You know, I was incubating Shakti Rising and those visions that I had had as a teenager were finally coming to fruition, but not because I tried to make that happen. I am, there's gonna be a big pause here because holy fuck. I thank you. Thank you um, for trusting this space and, and sharing your story. And I appreciate it so deeply. 
and I am having you know, it's so much of what you said. I'm like, oh, then there's this, then there's, and I'm just fascinated um, by how your life has woven together. And I, I see that perhaps onlookers, you know, as you had mentioned before, and you know, you're, you know, cut from a different cloth and it's, you know, this is because you're unique and all of those things. And, and what I really sort of felt was that I believe we all have that capacity for true vision. It just, maybe for you, the volumes just turned up a little higher. Like you're running around 11 and the rest of us, not so much, um, unless we it intentionally choose to turn that dial. And so the guides and the spirits and the people and the, the beings that were supporting you, um, you were, you were able to hear them. And I think that that's fantastic. Um, and, and just from a, uh, again, I'm, I'm seeing it happening in my head and I'm like, I can see how all these pieces come together. And I just think it's for me, what I, I noticed was, so for your experience to be almost valid for you as I perceive it, not that I'm telling your story, but that because everything was so turned up that even the experience of recognizing the numbness of adulthood, it had, that had to be turned up for you mm -hmm. in order for you to go, fuck that noise. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, for many of us, it, it's, we can't hear it. We can't see it, which is why it takes till we're 40 or 50 to go, fuck it. Like, this is not what I meant to do. And um, again, I think that that is always present, the sense of what we're truly meant to be doing with this vessel that is our body and our soul and our minds and carrying us through. Um, we, it is not, perhaps it's moving there, but at a time when you were a child, when I was a child, that's not the conversation. Talk to me about the senses you have you know, talking to my, and now for me, I, you know, I talk to my children about, well, what is, what do you feel about this decision? What are you feeling in your gut? And, you know, my nine-year-old named her intuition lovey-dovey. So she talks to me about <laughs> lovey-dovey and like what lovey-dovey's thinking and how she's feeling. And I'm like, this is fantastic. But of course, not a conversation I was attuned to as a kid, such that any sense that I had was I, I turned that off. Not only was the volume low, I went and turned it down because I, it, it was not something that I could process in my community, in my environment. And um, for whatever the reasons are, for however the stars aligned and things came for you, um, that was turned up. And then as a result, everything was louder and bigger and wilder and fuller. Um, yeah, I'm so grateful that you're saying that because I, I, I wouldn't want someone to listen to this and think that I'm saying that I was special or different. And I want to be really clear, I was conflicted for so much of my life, even though I was doing, I had this weird conf conflict, right? I was totally doing and following what I was meant to be doing. So I needed to do that for my own integrity, but mm -hmm. it took me totally away from most other people. I was out of pace with my peers, with my family, with my friends, nobody. I mean, for a long, long, long time, nobody fucking got it, no. what I was doing. And I was keeping things kind of private all over. I didn't talk about my recovery work. I didn't talk about my, you know, spiritual work or, you know, just a lot of the mystical gifts that happened. So I didn't have a place to go to talk about that stuff. And I didn't talk about my work work, the social justice work, or I always kind of played it down because I never wanted to be, you know, like, because it's so, it's so, like you said, 
it's more like it was turned up so high that I wasn't going to be able to make it if I didn't do something right. And there, there's a reason probably to help, you know, like not to help, but perhaps, you know, because we resonate, we, we can help activate each other to be around other people who are at least, you know, at least I believe I'm living my magic. Right. So there's a resonance in that and coming from my joy and believing in other people and living possibilities that our mainstream scripts say aren't real, but my life actually exists. I am real. So I'm a living example of actually it can be different. Right. You know, so I, there's so much value in that, but I do want to say, yeah, it's not about, um, you know, it, we're so obsessed with the special snowflake. And I, and sometimes I laugh about this and I'm sure I was when I was younger in some way, shape or form, wa- wanted to be seen for, you know, for being different maybe, or because I was so different and I just didn't feel like I, um, I wanted to just be met in that. Right. I wanted right to be supported in that. So, but I think that we don't have to try to be special. We just are. Exactly. And so what I'm hearing and really feeling from this is, you know, going back to the beginning of our conversation, when we were talking about the lone dancer, and then the others who are invited in as a result, doesn't take away from what that initial gentleman or person or whatever was doing, it, it'll, it gives us this opportunity to turn ourselves on, as it as it were. And um, I really what I'm getting from this experience today is that you, you're right. You are human. And if you're just listening to this, she is not a robot. She's total human. I can see her. Um, and (laughs) And your existence and then the rest of us sort of being able to be around it and going, Oh, I too am special in my own way. And my special plus your special or my awesome plus your awesome makes really fucking awesome. And then we can just continue to move forward from there and, and, and elevate, if you will. And I, th- I think that um, the lack of conversation, going back to when you were a child, all the way through to today and beyond, I think, um, the lack of depth of conversation around what is possible, what is felt, what can be seen, what can be imagined, what can be conceived and birthed and all of those things. There's, <clears throat> we're hungry for those conversations, but we, we all know they're not happening in the, in the everyday life, right? So we are seeking out community and we're seeking out opportunities. And to me, I'm looking, initially I was like, this, this is very special, it's unique. Now I'm like, no, I, I can fucking, I can't turn my head without running into a sacred community. And I'm pretty excited about that. It's really getting normalized in my life and, I, and rightfully so. So these opportunities where I can show up and be seen, valued, and it doesn't take away from anybody else's value, mm. right? And, um, and I, I really, I, uh, I admire that the journey you had to go through for to to step in and and really truly be you was a powerful one and it i think we're all experiencing our own level of powerful transformation we just have to be willing to like look at it and acknowledge it and you know whether it's addiction or any other form of numbing which of course is a, a rampant way of being um from 20 to 45 years old um these the more that we shine light on 
the power of your uniqueness, if you will, or power of our light and what we can do and how we can use our brains to continue to uplevel the world. Um, I think the, the numbing doesn't feel as necessary. And that's been my experience. So, I mean, in fact, that, I mean, I always say my high is so much better today than when, no matter how high I was using, because it's like sustained. (laughs) I I mean, I live on the continuum of joy, ecstasy, bliss, gratitude, pleasure. I mean, you know, like for real, not in a way of having to talk myself into it. Like sometimes my life that like my, the, like I start crying about the flower blooming in a garden or a song on a radio or just a moment, the sun falls in a certain way across the bed and the bedroom and the, you know, and there's a, the plant is reflecting light. And I have tears come to my eyes literally because I'm overwhelmed at being alive. And that's our natural state. That's my biology. I'm not trying to make that happen, you know? So I think that one of the things that we're, I mean, I, again, I hope I don't come out sound like an asshole, but you know, for me, it wasn't even just about me. It was that I longed to be around other people who fucking gave a shit and who wanted to live a sacred life and who were willing to like grow our guts and take risks together and get out there and do sacred things and, and, you know, and change and really make a change. I wanted to be part of movements where people knew that it mattered. We were looking for our lives. We were like appreciating the blessing of the past and we were trying to pay something better forward. Yes. And I felt like I was just out of sync of time, you know, like I just wasn't born in the time with the movements or the people, you know, whatever. And Yes. Yes. And if you weren't born when you were doing what you are doing, then perhaps the movements, the norm of movements now would not exist. So you and the handful of people who felt out of sync, we needed you to do that so that it felt normal and fully like on point now. So that being said, please share with us what's, what's transpired with Shakti from the, I'm just mentoring some people. It's going to be great. And uh, yeah, no, I'm good to this, again, this global movement that you've created. So tell me more about um, the work that you do now and, and how it's, it's transforming people today. So like, I'll give you this simple version, especially because my goodness, I just shared so much of my path, but Shakti is about cultivating the, the health the financial and economical, ecological resilience and leadership of women and girls from and of a feminine model. And really ultimately it's about bringing um, a collaborative, co-creative, life-affirming, diverse, I mean like diversity, living at the edges, Mm -hmm. um, approach to everything from our economy and business and personal growth and transformation to community building, activism, systemic government structures. It's really about turning everything on its head. And in the heart of our work um, is the recognition that um, to really to advance freedom, sovereignty, which is what is necessary for interdependence, therein is a paradox we must live with inside of, then all of our work must confront and dismantle oppression, internalized, externalized, that's all of us, right? So there is no such thing as my work separate from community work. What there is, is living into the very strange macrocosm, macrocosm, and really breaking the trend that consumers promote about like getting so caught up in my work, I have to wait till I'm ready or what's my thing and just recognizing that it's actually all our work. It's all our material and through our lives will be 
playing with our capacity and the way we care for ourselves to show up for our souls. So that's what our work is about. And we support women in that with online and in-person um, embodied, really amazing educational courses um, that are in you know a few different, one of our you know this, one of our main initiatives is called the Rosemary Initiative and it's about economy, ecology and soul. And it's really equipping women through money, finances, business, whether they're working in the nonprofit field or for-profit field or just a little cottage business or leading some major initiative to again, uh, put business, transform business into a healing force by remarrying ecology, economy and soul, right? And right-sizing humans so that we are, you know, not consuming more of the uh, plenty of the world than is, you know, perhaps what is our right place. So um, we do that work and we do coaching and consulting uh, to other leaders and organizations. And then we do a lot of work around trauma and recovery because one of the things that, especially training other facilitators, as well as we teach about trauma and recovery is, you know, people are forgetting, they keep, they start to identify with their tools or identify with traumatic response, especially as we start to understand more about it. But we forget that our system, meaning our own energy, biology, emotions, our own system always works toward resolution, even if it has to make a workaround. Right. Pretty brilliant. And so do our society. So where there's stuck places or collapsing or inability is where we want to work to strengthen our systems natural, like how do we align to help it heal? But a lot of what gets sold back to us is like fixing it methods is like, right, things get real complicated. We get identified with the tools. We think it has to be this theory or this version of supporting the nervous system or whatever is trendy. And we forget about staying in contact with that wild innate nature and ability inside of ourselves. So that's a big part of our work is just helping us, helping women embody, inhabit, live into their potent, magical, powerful brilliance, individually and collectively, individually and collectively, and to really live into what is interdependence? What is it really? Because that's what democracy is. Right. Holy fuck. I love you. I love everything that uh, you're working with and the community that you are a part of. And I'm very excited to continue our conversations around this work and, and to support you in any way that I possibly can. Um, I am I'm deeply, deeply honored that you are here today and that I, I get to know you and that I get to share in this light and, and, and applaud you as loud as I fucking can, because holy shit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I will uh, absolutely be connecting my community with the work that you do. Um, and so for anyone who is interested in supporting and being a part of, taking part of, um, taking advantage of this community, uh, then there will be an opportunity, uh, there's some link somewhere, somehow uh, to make that happen. <sighs> Shannon, thank you. Is, is there anything that you would like to share before we head out? Um, any words of wisdom on top of the million words of wisdom that you just shared? Quit it, quit it. You know, I've been reading, there is this one thing that I want to say. Well, first, um, we're all needed. Every one of us is needed. And there's no such thing as my thing. 
the health of women and girls is our thing. It belongs to the planet and a real vision, it, it's owned by the village. I mean, I've spent my whole life and I will spend the rest of my life hoping to live up to this vision, to do it justice. The vision, the way that it exists, what I want for the village going forward and for the people that I've been privileged to do this with in my life. So, you know, there's that. And, and I, I guess I, you know, I've been thinking a lot about urgency and they're talking about how urgency becomes a part of something, especially in conversations, um, about how urgency can become or is used as part of a pro, like that productive capitalist extractive. And I'm not saying capitalist is all bad. So please, if you hear that on that, as you're listening, just I'm talking about like a dominator extractive, unchecked, more cancerous model is what I'm really talking about. And urgency when it's connected to that, how that um, it strips our resources. It causes us to lose our humanity. It makes us not take the time we need for our own nervous systems to catch up, to really listen to each other, to understand like right now, there's so much rushing in because people are really afraid because the conversation, for example, about race and the need for reparation and about oppression and people don't wanna do the wrong things. They don't wanna be publicly shamed. They don't wanna change. They don't want this to be existing. We want to live in a world that is healthy and safe and sane and sacred, right? What happens is we rush in with a sense of urgency to fix it and fix everyone else and project everything out. And so I guess I just wanna say, we have to learn as adults to grow up, to be able to hold the understanding that this is our life, this is our moment. And so if you're here to do something, why the fuck are you putting it off? I think that's a dangerous gamble. At the same time, slow the fuck down, slow yourself down, catch up with yourself and grow the ability to hold the paradox of both right? Don't leave your body behind. Don't leave your community behind. It is true that these things need to change because we're better. We can, we are better. We just are better and we can do better, right? And we can move at the pace of guidance. So let's live into that together. Thank you. Thank you for that vision, that visual, that takeaway. It's, um, it really sits beautifully with me as someone who has felt disconnected from both of those pieces at different times. And I know many in my community, it, 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 it can feel jarring to feel so pulled apart. And um, I also believe that we're fucking grownups and we can do whatever we want now. And so absolutely say yes to reconnecting all of those pieces and being better, doing better, because we are better. Thank you, my friend. Thank mm -hmm. you so much for your time and um, for every this day. It's been absolutely fucking glorious. Well, thank you for, um, yeah, it's, it's a, the presence you hold and what it elicits is an incredible gift. So I feel fortified and I feel like I'm surprised by some of what came forward. So I feel really honored to get asked and to get to share about this and, you know, to have it be witnessed and heard. Awesome. And you're just, Fucking amazing. <laughs> we'll just say that. Okay. I'll take that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for uh, tuning in and being part of this amazing conversation with Shannon today. Now, remember to join us over in the Awesomeness Academy podcast club. The link's in the show notes. Check out this month's exclusive bonus. And remember to 
put be fucking happy at the top of your to-do list today. We'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed the show. Join Dion again next week to learn more about what you can do to go from hot mess to awesomeness.